Hello, my name is Sarah Lieberman, and you're listening to my new podcast, Five. That is F-I-V-E-5, exactly like the number. I'm here to bring freshness to fiction in your very ears. My goal is to make my listeners feel like they're at a poetry reading, but for a book of poems written only yesterday. I want to bring relevance to the construction and digestion of literature by integrating five references to the weeks preceding the release of the podcast into the stories that I write and share. They could be lines of a song that played most on the radio that week, or the news story that just swallowed itself whole. I'm a junior at Cornell University, studying English, but I've had professional experience in political journalism. What I mean by this is I'm confident in my dissection of current events, confident enough to present them to my listeners in my fiction writing, be them thinly veiled or not. And just because I know my stuff doesn't mean I'm above pop culture. Quite the opposite, actually. So expect to hear about Kim Kardashian alongside Kim Jong-un in my verbose and symbolism-rich style of writing. The stories will be new and crisp and applicable to what's going on in the world around you. But they will also be sad or scary or silly or lovesick. I promise to make them works of fiction, too, so any resemblance to my real life or real relationships are the direct result of serendipity or rotten luck, depending on how you feel about it. I will not announce the allusions to current events that I'll be embedding within my stories until the following episode, so part of the fun is unpacking it yourself, discovering whatever there is to be discovered. It's like a crossword puzzle, but you have the words and are looking for the clues. So a Jeopardy-style crossword puzzle is a more apt description, maybe? I'm here, in Sevilla, Spain, writing and recording this story. I hope you all feel fairly oriented, because I'm about ready to begin. Stealing on a Sunday. My mother is upfront about it. At least with me, she is. I always knew that she found me in a subway train car on her way out to buy bread. The story goes that I was wrapped and wound in an old winter coat, and when she came to go pick me up, something happened between my small body and her small hands. Some sort of connectiveness. The electrical wiring of motherhood touched at its raw wire tips and suddenly I was her daughter. I've never been given any reason to disbelieve this. She's honest to a fault, so I don't know why she'd want to lie about something like this. For a long time, I thought all babies come from subway train cars. Everyone was just a metro swipe away from motherhood. 
Maybe this is the New York story of the stork. Maybe all city children believe this, even the ones who weren't stolen. I wouldn't know. I was always too embarrassed to ask. And I guess with what comes next, I should say that I love my mother. I think she's sincerely good and great through all the parts of her body and I'm rarely mad at her. I think some people might call her unforgivable and a villain. That's fine. I'm not here to teach sympathy, digging my hands deep into throats to scoop it out. But I wonder a lot about what I would have done, or what anyone would have done if they'd never been loved by anyone in their life until they found a baby on a sleeping woman's lap in a subway train car. And the baby wouldn't break eye contact with you, and Lord knows you tried to get the idea out of your head, but it rushed in through your ears and filled up your eyes and plugged up your nose and soon you can't breathe and you won't breathe until you bring that baby home maybe we'd all have brought that baby home I think there's a thin gray line between what's forgivable and what's not I think that line slides back and forth I don't know what makes any of us worth deciding what's really wrong I think we have the human capacity to forgive and be forgiven, and when we deny ourselves that, we shortchange the bounds of what this human heart and this human life is capable of. So, really, I don't know how much the relative badness of all these things matters. I don't know where we fall, my mom and I. So, I was stolen from a subway train car. Everyone thought my mother had simply hidden her pregnancy from the world. It was easy, she said. Even celebrities can do it. And I remember when I realized what all this meant for the first time. Being stolen. It felt like swallowing a horse-sized pill of laundry detergent, and it bubbled up in my stomach and made me feel like calling poison control, like calling the police on myself. I can't stop thinking about how it must have felt waking up and being without your baby, not knowing what happened, but just knowing she was gone. I have nightmares about it all the time, about dozing off somewhere and then waking up to the thing I care about most being gone. Sometimes that thing was my favorite pair of shoes, and sometimes it was all of my teeth. Sometimes that thing is my mom. Sometimes I can't see her face. Sometimes I don't know who she is, which one she is. I was always wary of public transportation because of this. I hate it all. Buses, boats, the whole lot of ways to get somewhere. But when I got into college far away, I knew I'd have to face my fear, and I knew I'd have to do it a lot. I was so afraid of leaving my mother alone in New York. I warned her that she better not take any more babies, or I'd turn her in myself. I cried. I said that I was scared. My mom talked real slow and quiet about how strong girls can be. She told me a story about Atlanta, 
about how hundreds of Girl Scouts walked out on a bridge and reclaimed their city with their names, overturning histories of oppression and segregation, giving a bridge a new way to be called. She told me I could go to college. She told me I could take a plane. She told me that I was safe. But I tried to explain I'd heard in South Carolina a train got into a crash and hundreds of people were hurt. I couldn't stop crying, never having been to South Carolina, but feeling somehow in my muscle memory the sensation of something being taken away on a train. I don't know what a crash feels like, but I've heard one and it sits in your ears with you after it happens for the first time and it stays there. So each time it happens again, it takes up more and more space until you hear crashes everywhere, behind every corner. It's like any other bad thing that can happen to you. It gets compounded. But I ended up boarding the plane anyway because I believe in doing the things your mother tells you, like going to college or changing your clothes or trusting transportation. I had a three-hour layover in Detroit. I was playing this game. I'd take every person walking by and wonder if they were coming or going, leaving, staying, leaving, staying, leaving, leaving, staying. I only stopped when I wandered over to the bathroom. Can you tell the difference between hurt crying and sad crying? Because I can't. But I can tell when they're together. And when I heard her, I knew she was sad and she was hurt. I knew she needed help. The far stall in this Detroit airport bathroom had blood coming out of it, and it looked the same way it would if the toilet bowl had been overflowing, but the water was red and the moment was slow, and there's no rushing sound, only crying. I walked so slowly, like I was scared to see her because I was. I was scared to see the face of a woman who somehow I knew had something stolen from her, was bleeding because a part of her had been taken. I realized then that I really never wanted to know how that felt, but I was hearing it and I was there, and could I ever forgive myself if I didn't at least try to hold her? The door wasn't even fully closed, and her leg stuck out underneath. I don't know if she really looked like me, or if it was just my mind playing tricks on me. Maybe I wanted to see my mother lying there so I could really know what I had done to her. She had long, dark hair like me, and small feet like me, and her hips had no shape like me. When she saw me standing there, she found words between sobs. My baby, she said. I was only alone with her in that bathroom for a minute before someone else came in and called someone else and suddenly people were pushing me out of the way. I don't know who said the word miscarriage first, but it felt like a pan struck the back of my head. I never did touch her. I think maybe the last time I ever really touched someone was the top of my mom's legs on the subway train car. Since then, it's been a whole lot of skimming. I like to think we know each other, like she's the receptionist at my dentist office and we can never decide why we like each other so much, why we miss each other when I'm gone. 
I don't think I'll ever go looking for her, and not just because I know I won't find her. I think it's both beautiful and foolish to love someone you don't know at all. And after college, maybe I'll only have one reason to stay that way. I think a miscarriage means a lot of things, like a loss you can't know so you'll never understand. I've heard crows can learn to play soccer, and eagles finally can win football games, but we're still almost preoccupied with the way birds feed each other, maybe even more so than how they fly. Maybe motherhood, being a mother, or having one, or missing one, or never needing one is the most important part of us. Maybe that's all that I mean. Five, the podcast is created, written, and produced by me, Sarah Lieberman. Music by Michael Rigby Vogt. You can find more of his stuff on SoundCloud, at Cosmodicy. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the first ever episode, and I'm really excited about what's to come. So stick around, subscribe, and I'll be reading to you soon. Thank you.